I took the medication. A few weeks later, I started losing my, my taste. I felt like 24 seven hours flu-like feelings. And the problem with uh, that kind of medication is that you take it today and the onset of symptoms can be weeks or even months. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews. Like the vast majority of people, you have probably taken an antibiotic at some point in your life, and it probably helped you. However, a class of antibiotics known as fluoroquinolones can cause permanent and severe damage. This is known as fluoroquinolone toxicity, or in the US, fluoroquinolone-induced disability, FQID. This is a global health care problem that few know about or are warned about by their doctor. Why is that? In this episode, I chat with someone who has insight not only into the dynamics that keep this medical harm mostly hidden from the public, but has also been profoundly impacted by fluoroquinolone toxicity. Mark from Germany is just one of tens of thousands of people around the planet who have been injured by these antibiotics. Mark shares how he finally connected the dots between his declining health and repeated use of fluoroquinolones. He also shares what he does to help alleviate the toxicity symptoms so that he has an improved quality of life. The statistics of harm from fluoroquinolone toxicity are vastly underreported because the toxicity symptoms may not noticeably manifest until days, weeks, or months after the antibiotic use. This makes it difficult for those affected to identify the cause of their symptoms and a challenge for physicians to tease out or even acknowledge. Symptoms include tendon rupture, aortic rupture, hypoglycemia, nerve damage, mental health issues, and surprisingly to me, a dysfunctional response to exercise known as post-exertional malaise, the hallmark symptom of the neurological disease ME, or myalgic encephalomyelitis. As you will hear, Mark postulates that some people diagnosed with ME may have fluoroquinolone toxicity. Is he connecting more dots that the medical system is missing? 
You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all of the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast and if you need support for your own experience with medical error and or living with complex chronic illnesses you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com now here's my interview with Mark and a word of warning as always that some folks may be triggered by Mark's experiences with the healthcare system. All right, thanks Mark. So my first question as always is where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Okay, yeah, um, I grew up in the northern part of Bavaria in Germany. Uh, quite a nice town, university town or near university town and um, it was quite a very nice upbringing so um, kind of idyllic uh, living near the woods and uh, school nearby and uh, no big city travel so actually my uh, upbringing was very good and i have uh, good memories of that and um, yeah then i went to high school there and uh, finally studied um, philosophy psychology and informatics and um, then i worked for for kind of 10 years uh, and so we're here today to talk about how your health intersected with the healthcare system so take us mm. on that journey when did that start uh, Buckle up your belts, yeah, as you say in the UK or in America or Canada, excuse me. So finally, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, the journey started like 10 years ago, but this was um, quite unknowing and unwittingly for me. This just um, revealed itself uh, in the past two years. The time I'm living through is uh, quite challenging since I have to uh, rewind the past 10 years of my life. And it all started in 2010 when I uh, was prescribed, um, uh, I was suffering from bronchitis and uh, I was uh, prescribed uh, antibiotics, uh, namely from the class of fluoroquinolones. That's a special um, class of antibiotics. Yeah, and that was when the trouble started. But the point being is that at that time in my life, there was some kind of trouble. Clay, uh, climbed in, in the publishing house, I reached a higher level, which happened to me kind of, and some, um, I, well, I would say regularly life problems with uh, relationships and parents and sorting out stuff. So nothing existential, but there was quite a tension in my life. And um, then I also had this uh, bronchitis and I took the, the vacation. It was like uh, switching a button. Yeah. So it started with um, loss of um, taste, which was very annoying. Or to clarify it, the problem with uh, that kind of medication is that you take it today and the onset of symptoms can be weeks or even months. And so people can't make or very rarely make the connection between I had bronchitis or something else 
and six weeks or two months later, my, my Achilles tendon starts to hurt. Is that right, Achilles tendon? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, people don't bring it together. So this is the main or a big problem also for, for practitioners, for doctors, yeah. So I took the medication. A few weeks later, I started losing my, my taste. I felt like, uh, or the best description is like a flu-like feeling. It's like you have, uh, yeah, 24 seven hours flu-like feelings. Some days better, some days worse, especially after um, you, the right wording is post-exertional malaise. This means if you assert or, or uh, make some action, be it mental or physical, uh, the kind of exhaust you're suffering from uh, or exhaustion you're suffering from is um, in no relation to what you have done. Right. And so before 2010, I was, uh, I ran half marathon, one, <laughs> but um, many uh, mini triathlons, yeah, where you ha also have to bike like 20 kilometers and swim like one kilometer and, and uh, run uh, another six. I was very active before this 2010. It really changed from one day to another. When I started to train, I could, I, I noticed I'm getting tired more quickly, but after that I was knocked out for days, sometimes even weeks. Yeah, And you always have this flu-like feeling. You So you think, well, I'm not so fit. I, I uh, spare myself some, some time and, and chill and try again. So this is this uh, long wave uh, thing I experienced in the beginning. Yeah, You train, you do something, you're exhausted for days or weeks, you relax, and then you start the cycle again. Yeah. 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 Um, so can we back up a wee bit? So for you, you were saying that often uh, the symptoms from fluoroquinolone may not show up for weeks or months. So how long did you take fluoroquinolone for? And when did you first start to experience symptoms? And when did you make the connection that it was the fluoroquinolone? Okay, big picture I have to paint here. So I took it in, uh, the first time I took it um, was in December of 2009. It was before my trip to Hawaii. <laughs> so I really wanted to be fit. And I'm also working as a freelancer, so I really I don't eat antibiotics or ate it like like M and M's or stuff. Yeah, I, I always were danger um, aware of the dangers, and but being self-employed, one day you have to make a decision and say, okay, I need to do something before it gets even worse. Yeah, and so in in December 2009, I took it. Then we went on the or I went on the journey. And um, as I said, the, the day or the days all around that were already troubled. So I, I, it's not very clear at that point um, when I started noticing or when, the, when I lost my smell, then it was, uh, or my taste, then it was clear. And it, that was like about, yeah, like two months later in about uh, February or March uh, 2010. And it was also that in April 2010, I started um, uh, psychotherapy because I, as I said, I felt depressed and I had the feeling of being overwhelmed from everything. Now, financial crisis was also lingering still at that time. So there was really some existential threat or perceived existential threat. But I was wondering myself because 
yeah, it was a lot of trouble, but I was or I am a kind of active uh, guy and I handled stuff before. So I was wondering about myself, yeah. But I didn't make this connection of uh, taking the antibiotics and, and these problems, yeah. But now in, the, in, in, in hindsight, everything is completely clear, yeah. So it was the loss of taste, the, the uh, exhaustedness, the uh, psychotherapy and all that stuff. And this wave-like um, appearance of, of symptoms. Or, or the next time I took it, it was in December 2015. In the years between 2010 and 2015, I still, I, I never could go back to this training level I had before, but I would say it, it, it slightly became better. Quite far away from, from what I was before, there, there is a special a scale, the, the so-called bell scale. And there you can um, say how much of your energy level you have and, and how you manage your day. And I would say um, back then it was like 70 to 80%. So it's noticeable for yourself, but you are still fit enough to, to function, to work, to do stuff, to a little, do a little stuff in, in, in your leisure time but you feel not too well. Yeah? But then the doctors come and say, oh, well, you know, you're getting older. Yeah, so get used to it. Yeah? And so that was really a kind of problem that because inside of me, also in the psychotherapy, the therapeut uh, said, well, the taste of your loss, you know, maybe you have lost a taste for life. Yeah, it's okay in the psychotherapy realm. But I always had the feeling inside of me, no, <laughs> no, that's not, uh, that's not it, yeah. And it got slightly better until um, 2015, as I said, 70 to 80%. Then I took it again for the same reason, bronchitis, bronchitis. It was very strange because I made a, a, a meditative dark room at my place at home for like five days. It should be a ritual for New Year. But about mid-time of that, and I took the antibiotics before, I felt really strange. So uh, really strange. So I had the feeling of something evil being around, whatever. But this was the feeling I had, yeah. I went out of my meditation retreat. And um, since then, this feeling of, you can put it maybe like kind of impending, sense of impending doom. This is a bit much, but it is the right direction of feeling. And you have always the feeling the tiger is lingering in the bushes behind you or something. And since then, I didn't get rid of that feeling. And I took it another three times and more and more symptoms showed up. And then the final time I took it was in July 2018. I went for a kind of sabbatical half year to, to Portugal. Again, a journey. And I... <laughs> wanted to uh, get on the road i took it like two years uh, two weeks before i i went off and mark and, so each time yeah. that you were taking the the fluoroquinolone it was because you had bronchitis yes oh so that seems to be a recurring problem funnily enough since the last time i took it it's gone <laughs> i have no bronchitis anymore yeah so it's really strange i i don't know in the, when I was a child, I had uh, many, many problems with um, the tonsils. Tons tonsils, right? Tonsils. Sorry, yeah. 
as a child, I, I took like three or four times antibiotics a year. Yeah, I said myself, well, can't you cut it out? Yeah, but so in childhood, I had it here. In adulthood, I had it in the chest area, whatever. Since 2010, I'm <laughs> rid of it. I hope so. But I, yeah, I, I noticed this myself. So it was always bronchitis and it's gone since the last time. So it's interesting, yeah. And the last time it was really, really tough. Or this was when I thought now what's going on. I went to Portugal. I took it two weeks before and already the I, I drove with my uh, a bus, <laughs> VW, Volkswagen bus. Yeah. Already the journey down there was very, very emotional. I'm a kind of sensitive guy anyways, but again, this astonished myself. Yeah, I was, it was like a packet of handkerchief each hundred kilometers, yeah, <laughs> because I was thinking of the parents and relationships and leaving some stuff behind and no, uh, but but I really went really deep. But it was again, I, I noticed it for myself that this is normal in a way for me, but strange in its intensiveness, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and then I went down there and about two weeks later, I had massive pain in the whole of the body, especially the, the legs, the calves. In the morning, I had to grab my, my legs with my hand and then put them outside of the bed because I couldn't um, use the knees in the morning. It was extremely painful there. Yeah? And I also had suicidal thoughts. This is something which is completely alien to me. Yeah? I, I don't regard it as a sin or something in, in that category, but I, I have a quite a transcendental um, picture of the world. And so uh, suicide is not a, a topic for me. Maybe when I'm 90 and whatever, I don't know, but uh, not So it now. must have been very frightening, not only the thoughts themselves, but that they, mm -hmm. that, that they emerged and you're very unfamiliar right, right. with them. Yeah, because, I mean, you can think in a rational way about suicide and killing yourself and being sick and whatever, but they came from the very depth of, of my being. They came from a very depth and dark place inside of me. And so, I, yeah, it was not, not thinking in itself. It was like, well, I can understand the people and how would I do it and, and why shouldn't I? And, and not only as, as thoughts, as I tell them, but really it's all inside you and encompassing your whole of being and so and that's what that, that was the moment when i thought okay boy <laughs> wait a moment yeah this is not normal what is happening yeah and then i thought and what did i do and the only thing that came to my mind was being sick and taking that and uh, just one simple google search and within minutes yeah, as I said, the past 10 years of my life crumbled and um, everything changed and, and, and the situation being as grave as it was, it was a real great relief to know that this inner voice was always speaking the truth, yeah, that this, I was not betrayed by myself, yeah, so this was really a great relief because that affects all of your life since it affects all of your body from tendons from nerves mitochondria yeah it's the powerhouses of the cell every single system is uh, compromised or damaged 
And uh, so it's no wonder that you don't function the normal way. And But in the time between 2010 and 2018, actually, it was always like, oh, I wanted to go out with friends. I want to do sport, but I can't. And I'm tired and it hurts. Yeah, And so all, people also turned away. Yeah, it, it's understandable in a way because uh, oh, he again, he, he's a boring guy or he became a boring guy. Yeah. And this is now I'm laughing now, but this is really, really, and, and you don't know what, what is happening with your body or with yourself. And as I said, it's so, or kind of subtle. Yeah. You feel it quite uh, clearly, but the blood values are normal. You don't have pimples or whatever, or a broken bone. People don't see nothing. They only see you acting strangely or not the way they uh, you're used uh, to act yeah and Watson is still very hard to get all that stuff back together again because in this period of 10 years there were some actions and and things that happened um, which were quite of um, meaningful for for life and they happened uh, or I didn't act properly as I knew myself and I was wondering myself back then and uh, now it's clear but some things are done and so this is really yeah so for all of those years until you did that google search you had all of these strange physical and psychological symptoms which there was no cohesive explanation for in spite of a therapist saying well maybe your loss of taste has come from your loss for love of life, which, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah the you'll go to. Uh, and then when you do the Google search, then all of these pieces fall into place. There's an explanation for why you had all of these strange symptoms. So on the one hand, there's this relief and recognition of, oh, so this is what's been going on. And then at the same time, I'm assuming you also found out that there's not much way in the in terms of support from the healthcare system. Right, right. This is um, a real, yeah, you're, you're tasked with a big, big task in your life uh, when, when having that stuff. Yeah. And especially since, so, so I was in Portugal for half a year, I read all that Google stuff and I came back and uh, for me, it was quite clear now what was happening. And I went back to the uh, last doctor who prescribed me that. He kind of brushed it off. And that on top of all what is happening to oneself, to being ignored or dismissed or laughed at or not taken seriously. And yeah, it's, it's psychosomatic, you know. And yeah, you're getting older. Well, hmm, we can't do anything. Well, you, yeah, you don't see anything in the standard procedures. So uh, it's kind of understandable for the, for, from their side. But on the other hand, um, as you may notice, I'm uh, quite uh, good with words and, and I can describe things not too bad, I guess. And so I was able to describe it all the, to, to the doctor. But uh, in the beginning, it seemed that especially this clear kind of speaking made it much more a kind of psychic thing for them instead of taking what I was reporting seriously. And that really, yeah, it came on top of all that, that you don't only have to fight with uh, your inner problems, but also find someone who believes you. 
especially because the doctor said, oh, well, you know, it's known for like 30 years, those, um, they can make problems. I took it myself, but if you don't take it anymore, it should uh, uh, wear off. And um, well, you know, no, you just must imagine that. And that was really, um, yeah, it gets to you because it's, it's okay if you make a mistake or whatever, or it's never that I am, uh, I'm against uh, the doctors per se. They have a hard job them, themselves, and um, but but in the time afterwards, some some more listening, listening to the heart would be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. feels like a, a betrayal that they don't believe you. Yes, really. So, as I said, it's it's nothing personal with uh, that kind or with that doctor, and uh, I really have an appointment in the next time to talk to him again because uh, the specialist who treats me has written a small uh, compendium. In Germany, there are only let's say a handful of of doctors who really know a pro about the problem and who care about it and who are connected to with each other, and so despite these antibiotics being on the market for so long and the hardcore uh, side effects they have, which are also known for very long, somehow this um, isn't noticed. Yeah? So in Germany, there's um, a public health insurer and the biggest of them has made a calculation only for the year of 2018, if I'm right, there are 40,000 people and uh, 150 deaths in Germany alone in 2018 because of that stuff and those are conservative numbers since it's a public insurer and they try to keep it low i guess and on the other hand i guess these uh, numbers are also the reason for playing it low from from official uh, places because it was used so widespread and it was so or it, it is so effective and that is why it was so widespread and in my special case, it is also so that I'm uh, allergic to, to the classical antibiotics like penicillin or something. So I couldn't have used them. So this is a special case for me again. Broken down to my town, these are 250 people and one dead in 2018 alone because of that stuff. You can imagine that from those 250 people, only very, very little know what is happening to them. This means there is an awful lot of people walking the streets, feeling bad, being socially disintegrated, whatever, and not knowing what's, what is happening to, that, to them. And this is the very big tragedy. I'm, I'm, I'm really sad about that. So there's sort of two things there that seem parallel. One, this challenge of connecting symptoms which occur weeks or months after the medication so that's one problem, yet it sounds like on some level within the medical system, there is some knowledge among some doctors that this is what happens. And there's an acknowledgement of that. And then you've also got the same problem when you were talking about post-exertional malaise, this uh, delayed dysfunctional response to physical or cognitive exertion and how hard that can be for the individual to make the connection. Oh, I went for a, a hard run yesterday and that's why mm -hmm. I feel so sick today. It's hard to make that mm -hmm. connection. It's even harder for the doctors who's not experiencing it to make that connection right. if they don't know that that's the 
um, hallmark symptom of myalgic encephalomyelitis or ME. So I, I'm, this is the first I've heard uh, that fluoroquinolone side effects uh, can cause post-exertional malaise. Is this individual to you or is this somewhat common in the community? Well, my uh, doctor, uh, one of the few experts in Germany, Dr. Pieper, actually it, it seems like this is a quite common symptom also on the, from, from the people suffering from uh, FQID, fluoroquinolone induced disability. This is how the FDA in the US uh, branded it. Most of the people I know from, from the web, from a self-help forum, they all suffer from it. So this seems to be a really common trait of uh, uh, FQID. And uh, in his little uh, compendium, he also makes the connection between, or many different syndromes have a very common core. And those syndromes are FQID, fibromyalgia, Gulf War syndrome, since they got injected with an awful lot of um, um, cyprofloxacin, uh, it's, the, it's a well-known uh, fluoroquinolone, and there were already class action suits because of it in the US, as far as I remember. But, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, all, all together have a very common core, so his assumption is, or a very close idea is, well, maybe have a lot of those people have just taken fluoroquinolones and are diagnosed differently from a different perspective and maybe have some special traits to them as well. But I think, and then it's, um, it's quite reasonable to, to think that, that uh, all people diagnosed with fibromyalgia, Gulf War syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome, that they are actually victims of fluoroquinolones, yeah. That's, that's uh, what you theorize, that all of those folks are? Many, I, I really guess many, many, many of mm -hmm. them. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's my personal theory. And, um, but looking at the numbers and looking at the similarities between those uh, different illnesses, mm -hmm. they have distinct um, symptoms to themselves, each one, that's true. But there's such a big core common to it. To ignore that would be... Yeah, ignorant, I guess, yeah. Right, and, so it and, sounds like you're saying that if we were to draw Venn diagrams of all the symptoms of FQID, fibro, ME, and Gulf War syndrome, there'd be a huge overlap in those, in those symptoms. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's really interesting. I wonder, now I'm thinking, well, I wonder how many people with ME not I how, how can they, but I wonder if they look in their historical or their medical past, if they can identify when they took fluoroquinolones. Right. This is a kind of a mission I, I feel myself on. And uh, this is how we got in contact via Twitter, because for uh, CFS, for fibromyalgia, etc., there are a lot of self-help groups and they are kind of known phenomena but I have never ever found any connection or somebody in any forum uh, regarding those topics uh, mentioning fluoroquinolones. And uh, for me, it was so striking when I experienced what I experienced, when I read all that stuff, I thought, oh, well, <laughs> how clear can it be? Yeah? And so it was, it was or is my mission or I try to make something positive out of it 
to raise awareness people suffering from all those quite unclear syndromes just to check if they have ever taken uh, fluoroquinolone antibiotics because you actually cannot heal what is happening to you but there are some kind of um, remedies which uh, alleviate your symptoms or, or you can do at least do something or you know, I, I want to spread this feeling, oh, wow, now the child has a name. Now I know what is going on. I'm not yeah, thinking and what have I done. Now it's clear. And when the enemy has a name, it's easier to fight. Yeah? And so this is my idea of, of spreading the word about this and especially making this connection between those uh, superficially um, um, different uh, syndromes, which really seem to be connected regarding the numbers of, of people suffering from it and all those numbers are, are on the rise yeah so i mean people really have to think in the medical systems so of what's going on and my assumption is they do think and they do know and they do see the numbers but what should, should they do yeah if you open that dam because the point being or what we just need is support yeah i mean and and that's financial in in the end because um I cannot work anymore on a very low level only. So I have less income. I have possibility to, to care for old age. I have more uh, expenses regarding uh, doctors, laboratories and, 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 uh, and remedies. And so in the end, it all turns out that we need a political voice to make us heard and to get some kind of support because so many people are suffering so hard in in our uh, self-help group um, there are students which are 25 and they they cannot even start their life yeah and so this is um, really really hard i mean when we met yeah people wept and and we were happy to meet and know we are not alone yeah and on the other hand we were quite sad because it's as i said it's really life-changing and life-changing in a way that is not obvious neither to yourself nor to the others so this is really really something you have to be strong. <laughs> yeah. So you've identified this huge problem within the medical system about this medication that uh, is largely unrecognized. And you've identified the solution that it needs to be a political solution that um, is also financially supportive of the folks. So now that you've got those two pieces figured out, how has the response been from the medical community and from the political system to your efforts? Well, um, since all this work is uh, still going on and we are on the very beginning, it is still hard because I still have to educate the doctors kind of and um, educated people react not on not uh, always very open to being educated uh, themselves especially from someone they should treat actually and so i try i'm in contact with a lot of doctors regarding myself and i always uh, bring them the little uh, papers and stuff and i really have the feeling some woke up and are aware of that and talk different to me now about this and also share it with their colleagues so, so this is the one thing the other thing is that the public health people, let's say in, in politics, um, they also, they, they kind of know, especially they also over, uh, about the, the other similar syndromes, they all have a political voice now to make us heard. 
is yeah it's work and that's the problem because all the people um, afflicted are um, yeah we only have a little time frame and sometimes so it's it's hard we're in the process or want to make um, um like a, a so non-profit charity organization yeah so that was the word i was looking for and then we only have to start to get in contact with the politicians and start all that hard and small work because um in germany this um topic arose in public awareness only in funnily enough 2019 uh, then huge media coverage i don't know why maybe because of the study of the public insurer it was like for three or four weeks every newspaper every tv station was full of especially this topic but unfortunately nothing has changed yet so I think the whole topic is still evolving and changing and, and the FDA is moving and the FDA moved actually 2017 already, if I remember correctly, they made a huge black box warning on the uh, prescriptions themselves and they, they narrowed down the, the indication for fluoroquinolones to anthrax and plague. <laughs> so you see. This is really, I mean, it was always thought to be a, a, a second line uh, um, antibiotics yeah, for, for the really tough uh, cases. But as I said, it's effective and uh, quick and fast. And so why not? Yeah. <laughs> but as you see, it's, it's also, as always, pharma, big money, big pharma, big politics. Uh, things start to move. I have that feeling, but it's a big, big rock we have to roll. And so it will take time to gain momentum to set all that in motion there yeah, so it, it sounds like the us is making greater uh, advancements than germany or europe so this is uh, information i only got from the compendium from uh, dr pieper so or my doctor also mentioned it's it was quite clear from the beginning that they are that they have uh, strong side effects Nevertheless, it was the US that moved first, or at least on a regulatory level. And um, Europe is lagging behind, as maybe <laughs> it's not uncommon for Europe. So the process here in the, in the political and in the pharmaceutical community, I think, is still ongoing. And I think it is guided by that fear not to open that can of worms of probably tens of millions of people afflicted by that over the course of the past 10 years in, in the whole of Europe. Yeah? I mean, it has an incidence of 15% of, of disability. Yeah? This means 15% of the people taking that suffer from a disability. This is the highest number of any antibiotics ever. Yeah? It's also the first uh, synthetic antibiotics, yeah? um, also worth mentioning. And there were like, I don't know, about 10 um, different formulas were on the market. and we treat it again. And this is very, very uncommon for medications uh, that this happens. Yeah. And so the awareness that something is going on is there and for quite a long time, at least in the US. And yeah, as you see, the, the, the uh, gears are moving and we hope in, in our direction because before I also found the other guys and gals uh, suffering from that. 
it was really like feeling David versus uh, Goliath. Yeah, you're a little tiny thing, and there's this huge structures and corporations and whatever. And so it, it's really helpful to connect and to feel you're not alone and you share and 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 you feel understood by others. This is a very uh, important thing because yeah, now you can tell, and the other says, "Oh yeah, I know that." And uh, this was also a great relief to meet the people, but to get this kind of suffering people get together organize yourself uh, set up web pages contact politicians well you see i'm i'm um, existing is my task for the most of the day so this is you really have to see uh, how we can get this thing going and um, so i hope maybe some people listening also put it the other way i think a lot of people listening will either suffer themselves or at least know somebody with unclear symptoms or changed behavior where everybody was wondering. And I beg you, please, please check if you have ever taken fluoroquinolones. Yeah, so. Yeah, um, that, that's super important for people to understand not only, you know, from their history, but also moving forward to mm -hmm. you know, be more informed about whether or not they want to take the chance of taking fluoroquinolones. So when you're describing what you're up against, the Goliath of the medical system and the pharmaceutical industry, it really sounds like the problem is that the medical system, which should be identifying these harmful medications, should also be the ones that are correcting this embedded medical error. Mm -hmm. Yet, the way our health systems are set up, it falls onto the sick and disabled <laughs> to actually yeah. do all of the work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And the sick and disabled are the least or the least the ones who at least should be put upon to do all of this work and have the fewest resources, both physically and probably financially, to do what right. needs to be done. It's it's exactly backward to the way it should be. As I said, or or my uh, picture of the world is whole whole of life is a kind of careful looking for your way through existence and medicine is much more a kind of experimental stuff yeah i mean the layman is always uh, always thinks oh science and everything is clear my take on it is nothing is clear we are happy to be where we are and people are always trying the best and there is no intention of uh, or there's no intentional inflicting of, of suffering at least in this case <laughs> And as I said, it, it's very effective. And uh, one of the not so much talked about problems of the next decades will also be the problem of antibiotics. As far as I remember, UN had, uh, I guess, three or four special meetings. And one of them was because of the looming antibiotics crisis. If the um, uh, antibiotics become a uh, uh, number plate, we really have a problem and um, people will die in ways and from things we cannot imagine. And so it's not that I have the picture of farm, big pharma as, as the incorporation of evil, not in this case. And as I said, it is very effective and, and helpful in, in, in many ways. And it's just that there is... Uh, an unhealthy relation of uh, people suffering from side effects compared to the 
to the um, benefits of the medication. And so I'm, I'm not necessarily uh, fighting some black dark forces, but uh, I just want to beg the politicians and, and the doctors, listen to your patients, yeah? listen with your heart and at least Google it if someone calls or, 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 or has the idea he's suffering from it because it will quickly become quite clear what you have or what you don't have. And um, so, yes, this is a fight and this is uh, kind of a new task for the coming years for me, surely, since I'm mentally quite capable still, <laughs> hope so. I will take it on because, as you said, turn it into positivity, help other people, raise awareness. Yeah, so I, I try to put it that way and not uh, in, in this picture of uh, being surrounded by evil forces and the world is bad because that would be of no help at all, yeah. So it sounds like that in spite of all of the different losses you've experienced because of this, not only your physical health, your career, financial loss, social loss, just the list goes on and on. In spite of all of that, you're making meaning out of this experience by trying to help others change the system, increase awareness, stop others from being harmed. I try to, yeah. This is, um, I mean, I have uh, phases of depression and where I uh, shake my fist at the heavens and uh, think, oh no, <laughs> I didn't order it that way, yeah. But um, uh, well, this uh, surprise dish, um, I will take it and I will make it tasty. And so, um, to, to give up is not an option, yeah, because then I have pain and, and I'm depressed and I feel bad and this is no of no use to anybody, no? least to me and not to the world. And um, But I have to admit uh, the way I'm handling it is, is, is it's my way. So I, I'm meditating, I have a transcendental worldview. Yeah, I try to, to frame it in that way and to make, to, to put some sense to it, yeah. And, um, and also my education, and, and this is a, a citation from the doctors, oh, your, hum your humor helps you quite a lot, it seems. And so this is special to me. I am sometimes too funny guy. And um, as I said, I'm very interested in physics and matter in mind. And so this is just a new puzzle piece I try to fit in this colorful picture that my world is. Uh, well, yeah. you've got a real uh, positive framing of this experience. So uh, in addition to connecting with other people who have that same experience and the value and how helpful that's been, what else has helped you uh, manage the symptoms? Because there is no treatment for the underlying condition but the symptom mm -hmm. management is something that's achievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is very individual, what you can do and what will work for you. So um, everybody in the forum has his uh, assortment of, of stuff that helps, but it seems that um, there are some uh, common elements. So supplementing uh, some kind of minerals, like especially magnesium, because um, this is kind of taken out of the tendons and makes them brittle. And this creates the pain and the danger of rupture. Mostly in the first year after taking it, the danger of a rupture of your aorta. And this is also because the, the tissue of the aorta is quite similar to the Achilles tendons. 
And so supporting magnesium is really essential. And then there, you have to try some uh, medical herb stuff from ashwagandha, uh, also called winterberry, I guess. Um, it's also from traditional Chinese medicine and, and really helpful. And uh, also for people not suffering from, from FQID because it strengthens your kidneys, the, the stress um, system is, is supported. So it's ashwagandha. It's um, incense burner, you, you know, and yeah. you use this wooden, um, the, the, the resin, the wooden resin you use in the churches. So I'm, I'm missing the word. Yeah, yeah, incense. Incense, yeah. So that's uh, that's also helpful. There are medical incense extracts on the market. This uh, also helps if you have uh, arthritic uh, pain and joint pain. The thing which helps me really good is GABA, uh, gamma amino butyric acid. It's sold as a, a supplement for sport people. And uh, it's a very important uh, neurotransmitter. It, it's in your brain, but also, also in the body system. This is a system which is, it has to do with relaxation on the bodily and the mental level. So high GABA, you're relaxed, your muscles are soft and, and the fluoroquinolones, fluor they destroy that uh, receptors in a way. And my doctor put it, uh, well, you know, you're kind of like on a, constant benzodiazepine withdrawal like valium valium is a benzo and due to the destruction of the receptors it is like a constant yeah withdrawal of, of valium and uh, so you can maybe imagine about this feeling of something looming and and fear and, and tension in the body and you can buy gaba separately it's sold in, in uh, sports shops and this really helps. It's, it's a bit of strange when it sets on because you have like one, two or three really deep breaths. It's like, um, but then you feel really, but, but, but it's okay. I asked my doctor because it, it felt strange, but he said it's, it's normal because of the changing in the, um, in the vessel system. You should know before you take it the first time. <laughs> but this is really good because then you relax like I, I can't relax like that anymore myself, despite meditation and, and doing stretching slowly. Yeah, if the messaging system is uh, defect, it's, it's defect, yeah? And so there are always wrong signals going on in the body. And this really helps. Sorry, I wonder if CBD would help. Mm -hmm. Right, uh, this also helps. Uh, I myself need quite a high uh, dosage of that, but this is really noticeable and helps. But as GABA, or as GABA, it only works for like one or two hours regarding the whole uh, medical and other cannabis boom. Uh, CBD products are getting uh, more expensive and more expensive. So this is another limiting factor in using it. I mentioned it, medical cannabis is also something that is very, very helpful especially the hybrid uh, breeds and the, the, the breeds with the high CBD, <laughs> they are helpful. We are starting kind of a treatment right now with myself and try to find the right uh, um, breed and, and the dosage. But this is, yeah, you, there are a lot of complex medications on the market, yeah, like example, uh, gabapentine or, or pregabalin, these are the German, German words, and they help you with... Um, small fiber neuropathy where the nerves 
yeah, they dissolve kind of. I had many other medications also tried for the relaxation. But for me, it really works best. The GABA for 10 euros from the shop, the medical cannabis indeed, and uh, the, the incense. So this is stuff, I take it, I notice something. I don't take it, it gets a bit worse. But the point being is there is no healing. It helps you, it alleviates your symptoms a bit, but you still have to carry yourself around the whole day. And um, yeah, so this is really a bit... Um, yeah, it makes me sad because I'm imagining now, hopefully, going on for another 40 years. But with that um, package, it's hard. As I said, you have 24-7, you have flu, you have, like you did a hardcore workout yesterday in the gym and you didn't skip leg day. <laughs> yeah, you did the whole body. And, um, and this is the feeling I got all of the time or, or since 2018 in this intensity. And yeah, I need my humor and I really need to breathe deeply and meditate and then get my stuff together, not to get lost or to or get too depressed because it's hard. That's not by all laughing and, and talking what I do here, but it's hard. And imagining going on like this for 20, 30, 40 years. Well, yeah. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Imagine decades more of this is kind of discouraging, and I can see why you'd put so much effort and energy uh, into trying to change the system so that you have a better quality of life, hopefully down the road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this has been super interesting and super frightening um, to know. Okay. Just yeah, that this is so endemic within our healthcare system, and they're not really doing mm -hmm. anything about it. So if folks wanted to find out more information about this or connect with you on social media, how do they do that? The best thing, maybe social media, is um, the Twitter channel, because there I try to collect the, the information and the contacts. So my Twitter handle is just FQID. So I, I don't know if you put an overlay later on on it, or uh, you can just use it, the, the one we came in contact with. Sorry, mm -hmm. remind me what FQID stands for again? Okay, FQID is the abbreviation for fluoroquinolone induced disability. It's a kind of uh, diagnose, it's like the ICD kind of in the US, but Europe didn't accommodate it yet. But in the in, in the US, it's a... It's, um, syndrome with a name and, and doctors can diagnose it. Here in Germany, they cannot diagnose it. They can only diagnose every single symptom and say, well, maybe it looks like this or that. And in the next weeks or month, Dr. Stefan Pieper from Constance in Germany, he's one of those specialists in Germany. He wrote already a book with the title FQID. It's uh, in, in uh, Springer Essential Publishing House. And he's working actually on an um, uh, English uh, version, a bigger English version. So people interested in that should yeah, be on the lookout for Dr. Stefan Pieper from Constance in Germany and see what he's writing. Because also in the English speaking world, this seems, uh, or this seems one of the first and, and most um, compelling works. Okay, so we'll uh, include a link to that doctor's uh, book in mm -hmm. German now and then 
people can probably sign up to get notified when the English version comes out. And I'll also include in the show notes uh, your Twitter handle so folks can connect with you on Twitter as well. Well, thank you, Mark, for sharing your story and for the advocacy work you're doing. It, it is so important, and I, I wish you well in achieving change. Right. Thank you very much, uh, Scott. It was really a pleasure, and maybe this was also a, a way of uh, crossing ways and now being uh, able to, to raise awareness yeah, and um, to make it heard for a lot of people and let them feel that they are not alone and there are others fighting with you and for you and yeah and so it was really a pleasure and thank you for the possibility to talk with you and yeah great thank you thank you mark i hope this uh, didn't take too much out of you and that you rest hard for the rest of the day yeah <laughs> okay i will thank you well, a big thanks to Mark for sharing his story and the efforts he's making to raise awareness around fluoroquinolone toxicity. It sounds horrendous what some of these folks are going through, not only with the symptoms, but by a medical system that doesn't acknowledge or have any desire to really support the folks who've been impacted. So thanks for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all of the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need support for your own experience with medical error and or living with complex chronic illnesses, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com.